0: One of the things I used to love as a youth pastor when I was doing youth ministry was taking youth missions trips. It was always a great time to go on missions trips and you would always see students serving and desiring to serve the Lord. It was always wonderful to do that. But we would always have a meeting prior to the trip where we would talk about a packing list. And uh, we would provide a packing list to everybody and say, hey, here's what we suggest that you pack with you. And we always wanted to try to limit uh, limit how many bags kids could bring with them, because it gets pricey, obviously, when you're checking bags and you're paying for check bags. And so we would try to tell everybody when we were packing, like, hey, only bring what you need. And I remember one particular trip that uh, the, the team showed up and everybody had their bag, and one of the individuals... Uh, I won't tell you who it was, but I will tell you a female, um, of course, had this massive bag. It literally looked like you could fit like three people in that bag uh, that you could bring with you on this trip. And and I'm like... What could you possibly have in that bag? And like, I've got everything I need in here, right? I have everything I need for the trip. And I say, a female, of course, just because my experience with my, my wife, and she knows, that I, I, she knows that I share this, is that when we're taking a trip, or we're planning something, whether it's two days or six days, there's like massive bags that need to come when we, when we take a trip because there are more needs there uh, for packing, apparently, than I have, hair care, product. Uh, that I don't need a lot of that, uh, and some other things. But if I were to ask you today, if you were going to take a trip, a two-day or three-day trip, and said only pack what you need, only pack the essentials, what would it? What would be included in that bag? Just the essentials. When we think of essentials, or we think about the things that are needed or absolutely necessary, what we mean by that is even though you could bring a lot with you, and there's a lot of things that might be beneficial. There are certain things that you know, if you're going on that trip, you cannot do without. And that would fall into the category of essentials. The things that you must have with you when you go. Well, we've desired to kind of point out some essentials when it comes to the Christian life and living for Jesus Christ in our series that is by that name, Essentials. What we've desired each step of the way is to share Some basic things that every believer in Christ really should be valuing and that every believer in Christ really needs to have present in their lives. And so we've looked at the area of prayer. uh, We've looked at the area of scripture and studying God's word. And this morning we want to look at the essential, the necessity that as believers in Christ we would gather together as the body of Christ, gather together as the body of Christ. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, and want to read verses 23 to 25 as we get going this morning, and as we do so, I would like us to just listen to the words the writer of Hebrews is laying out for us as essential for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Essentials. As we look at this passage together this morning, what I would like to do is break this passage down into three sets of three. Uh, Three threes this morning that I'd like to challenge us with. I want to share commands that are laid out here for us to obey, truths for you and I to recognize, and then actions to take as a result of those truths. So let's look first at these three commands that are in this passage to obey. The first command there is to hold fast. Hold fast. He says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast. Say that with me. Hold fast. Now, here's what's very interesting. As you look at this passage, there's something that is going to be repeated again and again and again and again. And actually, if you jump back to verse 22, it's going to be repeated even another time where he starts off in verse 22 by by saying, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another do you understand those two words right let us let us let us not talking about salad like let us but talking about let us collectively together the body of christ believers together do these things let us. I want to share with something that I think is so valuable this morning for you and I as believers to understand. It was never God's intention for the believer in Jesus Christ to walk in this life alone. It was never his intention. We know that to be true first because Jesus said you will never be alone for I am with you. Okay? So, we're never alone, but if you read the New Testament scriptures time and time and time again, there's going to be this repeating of let us, let us, let us. The believer in Christ collectively together as the body of Christ collectively doing these things. You and I need each other as believers in Christ. We need one another. In a day an age in which we live, and if we look around the world at believers, literally around the world in every country, that we can imagine in our mind that believers exist. They need one another. They're meeting together. They're encouraging one another. They're holding fast together. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, he says here. And we need to pause for a minute because... Even if you're reading the news, watching the news, the headlines that are in the news regarding Christians around the world that are being severely persecuted for their faith, they are taking this first command, and not only are they saying with their mouths, with their lips, that they are going to hold fast the confession of faith that they have, they are demonstrating that in their actions, even to the point of death. Holding fast the confession of our faith. What is the confession of our faith? The confession of our faith is that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he alone is savior, that there is life, forgiveness found in no other name but the name of Jesus. We are holding fast the confession of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, earlier on, the context to this, the confession of our faith, the context to this is the sacrifice of Christ, understanding That it is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we have life. It's through the blood of Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. This is the confession of our faith. And he's calling on believers here, hold fast. I mean, this is a challenge, isn't it? I mean, if we just think about our lives over the past seven days. We say this on Sunday. How was the previous seven days, right? We think about this the past week. How did we do in this area of holding fast the confession of our faith? Because if we believe that Jesus Christ is Savior, that influences and should influence us in every area of our lives, should it not? If Christ is Savior, if we confess Christ as Savior, our actions should match that. And again, all around the world, believers that are unapologetically holding fast to their faith are willing to suffer even as it were death to hold fast the confession of their faith. Paul the Apostle would say, I am set for the defense of the gospel. I am willing not only to suffer, but I am willing to die if need be for the cause of Christ. Again, that's easy to say, a little bit more difficult to do. But yet believers around the world, that's exactly what they are enduring and what they are doing. What about us? How firmly are we holding fast the confession of our faith... And understand, here's the encouragement. Like, it would be one thing if God was like, all right, listen, you follow me now, okay? I know you, you know me, you confess me, and so here's what you got to do. Now that you know me, you just got to do everything right. You got to do everything by the book. You got to do everything to honor me. Good luck. Have at it. Stay firm. Stand fast. But that's not what he says. Look at what he says in the passage again. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Man, that's a daunting task. Without wavering, what? How is that even possible? But look at the concluding part of this verse, verse 23. For he who promised is faithful. I mean, there's the encouragement. There's the wow. It's not that God is saying, okay, you believe in me. You're a follower of me. You're a child of God. Great. Hold fast. Don't waver. Hold fast the confession of your faith without wavering. You better not waver. Go ahead. Go do it. But understand, he's faithful. We're not alone. We have him with us. We can be unwavering. We can be sure. We can be set. We can be firm. Not in our own strength or our own power. Because listen, if you're trying to hold fast the confession of your faith on your own strength or your own power, you, I, everyone will fail. Because aren't there times in our lives where things happen that we didn't plan and we waver? Aren't there times things happen within our families? Sickness? Unexpected death, financial problems, work problems, relationship problems, things that we would never even have imagined could happen where everyone and everything seems to be unfaithful. And yet God is faithful. You see, we cannot hold fast to just relationships with people, jobs that we secure, money that we have, possessions that we have relationships that we have. No, our holding fast to confession of our faith is only possible because he holds fast to us. He is faithful. So if you're a believer in Jesus today and you'd say, man, I, I feel like I'm in a spot where I'm wavering, you're in good company because that's the tendency all of us as believers in Christ, even as believers, our tendency on our own would be to waver. But you don't have to do that on your own. He's faithful hold fast. Hold fast through the strength that he gives. Now, here's what's really interesting, is he goes from this personal responsibility with self and one another. Let us, collectively as a body of Christ, as believers in Christ, hold fast the confession of our faith. Don't waver because he's faithful. And then look at what he says as he goes on here. Verse 24, and let us, there it is again, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here's the second command. You ready for it? Stir up. Now, this statement of stir up, these two words, what that like, literally means as far as the meaning of the words that are used here is it means to agitate. Isn't that great? If you're one of those people who like to agitate, you're like, yeah, I'm commanded to agitate people. It's fantastic. Uh, I have to make a confession. I can tend to like, be a button pusher. I was in a, in a discussion with a couple other staff members a couple weeks back, and we were talking about baseball. And uh, you know, I used to play baseball when I was in high school, and I used to follow baseball closely and used to be very knowledgeable of baseball. I haven't had that much interest in baseball later. My interest has completely gone now that the Indians are the Guardians. That's another situation. But uh, I'm, I'm just one of those people that, like, I haven't paid much attention to baseball. So we're talking about baseball and statistics, and I have no idea really what I was talking about because I haven't paid attention. But I just wanted to kind of stir the pot, Little bit. So I was taking an opposing viewpoint to this other guy on staff. And there were a couple guys on staff. So after we argued about this and we were going back and forth and I was pushing buttons, I was in my office and, and I heard two guys next in the other office talking about this. And a couple minutes went by and I'm sitting there and I'm laughing and I heard them say something. And so I got out of my office. Peeked around the corner, said something, and, started, and then walked back in my office and started laughing as they were like, oh, like they got all fired up. So I was just stirred, right? So at the end of the, the quote-unquote discussion or argument, uh, the one pastor that was basically being opposed said... Um, this is ridiculous. He said, there's three of us in this conversation. One of us actually knows baseball, which is him. One is just a surface-level fan that doesn't know what he's talking about, which was the other guy. And he goes, and one just wants to make people argue, which was me. And I was laughing. I was like, you're right. That's my role here, right? And so it's funny It's funny to do that on light matters and when it's not serious things. It's not funny when that's what we are known for and we do when it comes to matters within the church, You see, the command here to stir up or agitate doesn't stop with just stir up one another. Some of you will be sitting here and be like, that's fantastic. If all I have to do is agitate people, I'm there, like I'm king agitator. That's not what he's saying though. He says stir up one another or agitate one another. In other words, like prompt one another, but to what specifically? Not anger, not argumentation, not jealousy or bitterness. No, what does he say? Stir up one another to love and good works. You and I have the responsibility as believers in Christ to one another to stir up each other. To agitate, as it were, one another. To get each other moving towards love and good works. Uh, we have a dog at home. You've heard of my dog before if you've been here for a while. Toto is the dog's name. Uh, vicious Yorkie Poo. That's, that's like about this big. And Toto, for some reason, I think she does it on purpose to agitate me. But at night when it's time for bed, she'll like jump on our bed. And she knows she. I don't like it when she's on her bed. And so she'll jump on her bed. But she jumps on the bed and immediately lays down on my pillow on the bed. Like lays there. And I will be like, Toto get out of there, and she'll just kind of stare at me, and so she's, like, laying there, and she's, like, just comfortable, and she's, like, it's a comfortable spot. Now, she doesn't do that to my wife's spot. She does it to mine, like, every night, and so I'll go over to her, and, like, there'll be times that she'll be there, and I'll have to, like, literally get the blanket, and, like, flip, I don't flip her off the bed, although I want to, but I'll have to, like, move her with the, the blanket to try to get her up, and she'll, she's a little bit older, so, like, she'll gradually get up and kind of look at me, and then she'll, like, kind of walk to the bottom of the bed, and, do this and kind of like lay down. But like literally there are times I have to go up to her with a blanket and because she's so comfortable and she she looks comfortable and I'm like get up and she won't and so I take the blanket and have to like move her off the blanket, right? That's what the picture is here. To agitate or to move or to stir up or to get that which is not doing something and get it doing something. Stir up one another, he says, to love and good works. That's a responsibility that you and I have to one another as believers in Jesus Christ. Let's be honest for a minute. Isn't it easy sometimes to just be lazy as a follower of Christ? Isn't it easy sometimes to just be like, I'm good. I'm not doing nothing. Keeping my mouth shut about Christ. I'm keeping my body closed down about service. I'm keeping my mind occupied with things other than what God would have me occupy them with. I'm good. The writer of Hebrews knew this would be an issue, and that's why he's calling on believers to hold fast the confession of their faith without wavering, knowing he's faithful, and he's calling on us collectively as the body of Christ and members of it to stir up, agitate one another to love and to good works. To love Into good works. Now, listen, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this soapbox, and we've talked about this before, but I want to ask you a question this morning. You come to church, when you come to church and you walk through those doors, and even the question, maybe even today, are you an agitator, period, (laughs) where you come in and if you see something you don't like or someone you don't like or something's done how you don't like it or the pastor preaches in a way you don't like or the music isn't exactly what you wanted or the lights weren't exactly at the level you wanted or the sound was too loud or too soft or the carpet wasn't your choice of carpeting or the, the curtains, you're like, man, those curtains in the FLC, I just don't like those. If, if you come in, you're like, man, this coffee, I wish we had other coffee. And, and if it's donuts, like, man, these free donuts, I wish they were other free donuts. If you come in, are you an agitator? Are you a complainer? Are you one who comes in to stir up dissension, complaints, anger, bitterness? Or are you one to come in as an agitator to stir up to love and good works? What role did you play today as a believer in Jesus Christ? Think back what your role was today. If you were here last hour, what was your role? If you hear this, what was your role today? What came out of your mouth today? To stir up. Because chances are you stirred up today in some capacity. To love and good deeds? Or to personal preference? Complaining? Anger? Was it about you? Or about Christ? Is it about us? Or one another. We get it. We get what it means to stir up. But in which way are we stirring? <laughs> he commands us here to stir up one another to love and good works. Number three, command to obey, gather together. Look at what he says. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, listen, hold fast the confession of your faith. Hold fast. Stir up one another to love and good deeds. Hold fast. Stir up. And then he says, don't neglect gathering together or meeting together as is the habit of some. The third command here is to gather together. Gather together. Now, there are some alarming statistics that exist presently in our nation, uh, when they poll those that call themselves churchgoers. Um, The average churchgoer, person that says that they are a faithful churchgoer, goes to church less than two times a month. Um, So one point something times a month, which how how you can go to church one point something times, it's obviously statistics. They pull everybody, they do that. But it's less than twice per month people go to church. And we're not of the opinion that the Bible is commanding that every time the door, church doors are open, you need to be there. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is that the writer of Hebrews is saying is that we are not to neglect meeting together as some, even in that day and age were doing, because we need one another. We have responsibility to one another. Uh, that's a calling God has on the life of the believer, to gather together in his name, to worship to be challenged through his word, to encourage one another, to stir one another up, to love one another. This is commanded, not optional, that we would not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. And so we're going to talk more about that in a minute. These are the commands, though, that we're given here, commands to obey. Say them with me. Hold fast. fast. Say it again. Hold fast, stir up, gather together. These are the commands that are laid out here very clearly. In these verses before us. Now I want to move to truths to recognize. So in light of these commands, what are the truths that we have to recognize this morning that are of great value? Number one, recognize this morning that we are in this together. Okay, Recognize this morning we are in this together. Again, I, I can't emphasize enough the emphasis that the writer of Hebrews puts on the collective body. Because he says over and over and over again, let us, let us, let us. Yes, this is an individual mandate as far as command of gathering. Yes, it's an individual challenge and command to stir one up, encourage one another. We see that elsewhere through scripture. But it's also very clear in here, this is a collective command for the body of Christ to do this together. Let us, let us, let us. So we have to understand we're in this together. We all have this responsibility together. You and I as believers in Christ, collectively as the body of Christ, we have this responsibility. When Paul the Apostle lays out what it means to be part of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about how we are all individually members of that one body, Paul lays out very clearly and very concisely in a way that's easy to understand the fact that we are all parts of the body of Christ, and every part needs the other parts. If we're going to function properly as the body of Christ, we need one another. If you've ever had an injury where you couldn't use your arm because you have a shoulder injury, or if you had a foot injury where you couldn't use that foot, or even if it's just like your like little toe gets injured or stopped. right? I have my, on my pinky finger right here, the other night I had a, a fire that I was doing, and I was... Breaking apart these branches. When I broke this branch apart, it slammed into my pinky finger. And it was bleeding right away. And I was like, ah, it's fine. It's fine. Like the next day, like it was like I was a little like kid. I was like, oh, my pinky finger. Like it was like bruised and there's like a maybe a scar is going to be on it. But like that little pinky finger, whenever I would go to do anything and I naturally go to do it and grab something, my pinky finger would like alert me that like it's not feeling well. And so even though I can get by like with this hand doing stuff and, and everything... I can tell that that pinky finger is injured. And it's not that big of a deal, but I feel it. You know what God lays out in his word about the body of Christ is that we should feel that way, that when one part hurts or suffers, that we feel that with them. That when one part rejoices, that we rejoice with them. That's what the body of Christ is intended to be and intended to do. We need to understand we're in this together. Here's the encouragement in this. You're not alone. There's no one in this room that has a relationship with Christ that can rightfully say, I'm the only believer that's desirous of honoring God. It's not true. We're in this together. No one can say, I'm the only one that has God. Why have you only given me this responsibility? That's not true. We're in this together. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're in this together. Tell them. Do it again. We're in this together. Listen, there is great joy, encouragement, and hope when you recognize you are are not alone. In the previous service, we had baptisms in the auditorium. There are four people being baptized today, and uh, we didn't plan initially to have this baptism service, but out of necessity, we're, we're having it. There was four people baptized, and I had the opportunity to baptize an individual during the first service. His name is Jeff. Jeff's been at Maranatha for five weeks, five weeks ago when the message was on the Lord's table on communion. If you remember that message, uh, that was that like five Sundays ago, four Sundays ago, it was talking about the Lord's table. And he was in that service, and I shared in that service that if you're not a follower of Christ, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, that the communion's not something for you, it doesn't have meaning for you if you don't know Christ. And I gave an invitation at the conclusion of the service, if anyone was here that does not know Christ and wants to know Christ to come talk to me after the service was over. And so Jeff came to me, and he's like, hey, man, listen, uh, uh, during the service when you're preaching, it became very clear, I couldn't take communion because I don't know Jesus, but I realize I do need to know Jesus, I want to know Jesus, I need forgiveness of sins. And so I, I talked with him and prayed with him, and Jeff trusted Christ as Savior about five Sundays ago. He came back the following week, and the message was on baptism. And so at the conclusion of the message, he comes up to me, and he says, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, man, what's going on? I said, it's good to see you back. And he goes, yeah, he goes, listen, he said, uh, he said, you know, all week I, I got in my truck to go to work, and every day that I went to go to work, I had this big smile on my face, he said, and just this joy, and I thought it was because of relationships in my life that were going so well, and he goes, but it became abundantly clear to me that it's because of Jesus, and because I have a new Lord and Savior, and he's changed me. And I said, man, praise God, that's, that's awesome, man, I said, I'm so excited for you, and, and so he's talking to me, and at the end of talking, he goes, hey, so baptism, I need to be baptized. I was like, yeah, right on, oh, brother. I'm like, you need to be baptized. And so, so he was excited about that. And I was like, I'll let you know what the next baptism service is, and, and I'll make sure I get in touch with you. Well, the next week he came back and he found me. He's like, baptism, like what's going on? Like he, he was seeking me out. And I'm like, okay. So I texted him this week, kind of midweek towards the end of the week. I'm like, listen, we got a baptism service in our main auditorium that's just coming up for a few people. If you want to be baptized at that service, we can make that happen. And we were texting back and forth. I said, hey, I'm praying for you. So he texts me a little later on in the day, and he said, listen, man. He said, about five minutes after we were texting back and forth about baptism, he said, the devil must not be happy. Jeff had a drug addiction for 18 years. Uh, 18 years he's had a drug addiction. And uh, he said, uh, after about five minutes after we talked, he said, I found a, a bag of meth that I had hidden uh, for some time. He said, I forgot it was even there. And he clarified in the service that it was a big bag of meth that he, had, that he had found that he had put somewhere and he forgot about it. And he said he got that and he looked at it and he, he, he laughed and he said, not today, Satan, I have a new Lord and Savior, is what he said. And, uh, and so it was interesting because he posted about that on social media. And he wrote after that, he said, and for those of you wondering, can you have the bag? No, I got rid of it, is what he said. And I, I was just so encouraged. I thought, man, that's awesome. And I, I talked to him today and he was so excited about the fact that he has a relationship with Christ. He was so excited that he has a relationship with Christ. But here's how he came to, to church. And this is what the Lord used in drawing him, as he is a friend that for, I don't even know how long, I know it's been over a year, has consistently invited him to church and talked about what Christ has done. Consistently, consistently, consistently. There was a whole group of people today that were encouraging him. We are in this together. We're in this together as we serve Christ and as we make him known. Let us, let us, let us, he says in the passage. Another truth to recognize is that we need one another. We need one another. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As time comes to an end, as the return of Christ comes near, as The culture that we find ourselves living in shows themselves to be farther and farther from God. We need one another. I know all of you have probably been on the receiving end at some point in your life of a believer in Christ that has encouraged you when you needed encouragement. And if you've not been on the receiving end of that, I'm sorry that you haven't been. Because if we as the body of Christ are doing what God has called us to do, every one of us as believers should be on the receiving end, but also on the giving end of encouragement to those that are in need. You know what a blessing that is. We need one another. I can't tell you how many times I've shot someone a text message saying, hey, I'm just praying for you this morning, and they get back to me and say, you'll never believe what I was going through this morning. You'll never believe what was going on in my life. That's why when we walk through these doors on Sunday morning and we see one another as the church, as the body of Christ, we have no idea what anyone is facing today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing, but I do know this. God has called every one of us in this room because we're in this together, and we need one another to encourage one another, to stir up one another to love and good deeds. It's a responsibility every one of us have. I don't care who you are, how long you've known the Lord, You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to one another. We're in this together. We need one another. Truth to recognize number three, it's essential that we gather. It's essential that we gather. How can these things happen if we're not with one another? Let me ask you, how in the world can we stir one another up to love and good works? How can we uh, neglect to meet together And at the same time, accomplish all of the one another's that the word of God calls us to accomplish as believers. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Forgive one another. Stir up one another to love and to good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. Establish one another. All of these things. Prefer one another. Look not at your own interest, but the interests of others. It is absolutely essential that we gather. Absolutely essential. I want to make a statement that I think is important to make today. You cannot get online what you will get in person when you gather together with the body of Christ. It can't happen. It can't happen. Some people are like, no, it's it's the same thing. It's not. It's not. Is there a time where maybe that is something that is is going to be beneficial and needed because you're being kept away by something? Possibly, but let me tell you, God's intention was never for the body of Christ to be separate from one another. We need, it is essential that we are gathered together as the body of Christ meeting with one another. Have you ever been away from your family? Have you ever been away from your friends, people you're close to that you love more than anything in the world that you would do anything for and you're away, whether it's on a trip, for work, a missions trip, a vacation, whatever it is, you're away from them. And, and when I go away on a missions trip, one of the longest trips that I typically take in a given year is when we, Pastor Butch and I go overseas and we go to Thailand and we're doing training for Chinese church planners. And we're over there, sometimes it's two weeks long. And so I'm away from my wife and four daughters for two weeks at a time. I love doing that kind of work and, and teaching theology and ministering to Chinese church planners. I love it. But one of the things that's a heartache of mine every time that trip approaches that I just, just am, I'm just, just broken over is the fact that for two weeks, I cannot hug my wife. I cannot hug my children. I cannot see them as far as be with them. I just can't. Now, every day that I'm over there, unless there's things that prevent that from happening because where we're at, I try to, every day that we're there, FaceTime my family. I try to do that every day when I'm away. Just to tell them, look at them, say I love you. Like it's weird too, if I'm gone for two weeks, I come back, I'm like, the kids got so big. Like in two weeks from not seeing them, which I think is more in my mind, but it's like, what did I miss? But I try to FaceTime them every day when I'm gone. Every day. Why? Because I love my family. I love my wife. I love my daughters. I want them to know that I value them and love them and want to be with them and long to see them and be with them. Maybe you've been there. You know what that's like. If you have children and they're away at school or college and when they come home from college, you're like, ah, like you can't wait to see them. If you have kids and they go away for a school trip for like a, a week or if they go away for a weekend. Now, weekend, some of you are like, get them out of the house. But like if they're gone for any extended amount of time and they are coming back in town, you cannot wait to see them face to face, hug them. You long to be with them. Can you imagine if I came home after two weeks, and I was like, hey, guys, I'm home, but instead of, like, actually seeing each other, let's just keep doing this. You guys know I love it. It's the same thing. Parents, if your kids come home from college and they're away for, like, the school year. Or they're away for a long trip, and their kids come in, they come in the house, and they're in their room, and they're like, hey, let's just FaceTime back and forth, because it really doesn't make any difference if we're actually physically with each other, because we can accomplish the same thing through these screens. We could never imagine that being the reality of our lives, and yet, and yet, we have members of the body of Christ, who for a year and a half to two years, that's that's their one another. That's the loving one another, caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens, burdens, confessing to one another, encouraging one another, stirring one another up. Friends, listen, that is no substitute for what we're having happen right now. It is absolutely essential that we gather together. It's essential. How often, as often As we can, we should gather together. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying anybody who is not here every Sunday or if they're watching online that they're in sin, they're rebelling against God, but what I am saying is this. That cannot be the only means of accomplishing what God is calling us to accomplish as believers in Christ. It's essential that we gather together. It is no substitute. It's no substitute. I can't tell you how many people I've heard when they've come back to church and they said, oh, it was great watching online, but man, it is so great just to be back together. Why? Because that is what God has intended for the body of Christ from the very establishing and beginning of the church. That's his intention And again, I know we live in crazy times and I know there are times where because of people's immune systems and because of physical ailments and because of different things that are going on, that there may be a time where they're like, you know what, for the health and safety and well-being of the body of Christ and the health and safety and well-being of that individual, that there's going to be weeks that they're needing to watch online because that's going to be the wise responsible and God-honoring thing to do. Listen, I can't speak to every single situation. I'm not making a blanket statement over everything, saying anybody who's not in person, they're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you cannot substitute for what is meant to happen in person by being away from everybody else. Can't be a, it cannot be a substitute. It can't accomplish the same things. We have to recognize we need one another. We need to hug one another. We need to shake hands together. We need to give holy kisses to one another. Just line up after the service. And we'll just start, just line it up. We need to encourage, love, and care for one another in a way that the world cannot and will not understand. It's essential. It's essential that we gather together. Thank you for being here. Thank you for gathering. I wonder who do you need to encourage to gather that's not? Who do you need to encourage to gather together and you need to say, hey, it's time. I think it's a tragic thing that we have believers in Christ, present day believers in Christ, who are doing everything else but church right now. There are believers in Christ who go to work every day, who go to the schools who are participating in sports programs, who will go to the movie theater, who will go to concerts, who will go to restaurants, who will do everything else that they normally would do, but when it comes to gathering together as a church, they're not back. That's a problem. That's a problem. We need one another. We need one another. So real quick as we wrap up, let me give three actions to take. Number one, this should go without saying, but we'll say it anyhow. Do what God commands you to do, church. Do what God commands you to do. In case you don't remember, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Very simply, do what God commands you to do. There's no more waiting. (laughs) Let's do what he commands us to do. Number two, do what God commands you to do, even when no one else is. Do what God commands me to do, but not everybody don't care. Do what God commands you to do, even when no one else is. Even when no one else is. Do what God commands you to do. There's not a prerequisite for following the command of God based upon how popular the command is. There's not a prerequisite. Well, once 50 do it, then do what God commands you to do, even when no one else is. Number three, do what God commands you to do, even when it may prove to be costly. Even when it may prove to be costly, do what God commands you to do. You know, there's a lot of turmoil and emphasis in Afghanistan right now, politically A lot of turmoil and and just emphasis in Afghanistan as it relates to what's happening there with government, with religion, with all of these things. And there's a lot of believers in Christ in Afghanistan that are being severely persecuted for their faith right now. Uh, Someone who is a Uh, leader within the church planning community in Afghanistan made a statement this past week. And I don't know the validity of this statement, so I can't really cite the source, but it was someone who is a, a partner with the Afghan church planning community. And they had said that the pastors there have come to the recognition that if they stay and if they continue to meet, they will likely die. And their response to that is, we will stay, we will continue to meet, and we will likely die but that our trust is in the Lord and in him alone. We have believers around the world that are meeting under the threat of severe persecution, sickness, and in sever- severity of even death that faithfully gather every week because they're commanded to do so and they're commanded to encourage one another. What are we ready and willing to endure? out of obedience to our great God. Do what God commands you to do, church, even when it may prove to be costly. And as time goes on, the cost will prove to be greater and greater. But let us hold fast the confession of our faith because he is faithful. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. God, stir within us the desire to gather together because we need one another. We're in this together, and we are not alone. Lord, help us to stir one another up, not towards bitterness or anger or jealousy or rage, but help us to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another as we await your return for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.